0: The content in this podcast is meant for mature audiences only, 18 and up, as some of it may be difficult to listen to. Continuing to listen to this content releases Rest, Virginia Dixon, and Exodus Cry from All Liability. everyone to the Rest Podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Roberts, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and Rest, Virginia Dixon. Today, Benjamin Nolot of Exodus Cry joins Virginia via Zoom to discuss the headway he is making in fighting against the largest epidemic in our world and how we, can help
1: benji i am so excited to have you join me
2: today thank you virginia Um, see you
1: one of the things that i have found most gripping behind closed doors and at the clinic is much of the compounding confusion and chaos and disease and illness that we're dealing with is the fruit of us as a nation, as a country losing sight of what's sacred about a human being, about the human condition. And for some time I'd been saying we have a rape culture. We have a rape culture. And I know that's kind of aggressive, right? But we do have a culture of rape where everything that we once held sacred is deteriorating right before our eyes. And the root cause of that is up for discussion. But when one of my team members brought in a segment from a series that you did on what was happening in college campuses, I think it was called Spring Break or something. Yeah,
2: Liberated, the new sexual revolution. I,
1: liberated, that's right, Liberated, the new sexual revolution is absolutely at the heart of what I think is feeding destroying our nation. Yeah, It has been strategic. It's been planned. It's been systematic, but it is in full throttle. And I think your work really answers the question of what the heck is happening? How is it happening? And why is it happening? So I want our listening audience to hear you speak, tell us your story, how you got into this line of work, tell us about Exodus Cry.
2: Yeah, so I started Exodus Cry in 2007 after learning about human trafficking for the first time. At that time, our understanding of trafficking was, I would say, fairly narrow in terms of, you know, thinking of people who had been abducted and were being held in cages and, you know, prostituted out that way. As we continued to research and investigate the issue of trafficking around the world i traveled to 19 countries in 42 cities across four continents over four years making my first documentary nefarious merchant of souls which is about global sex trafficking and that really expanded my view of trafficking what it looks like and how it happens and so after completing nefarious i was really interested in doing a deeper dive into Western culture and the sexual culture in America to understand more of the root cause elements of what's fueling trafficking. So we know on a fairly simple basis that trafficking is an issue of supply and demand. So you have a demand for illicit sex largely on the part of men. 99% of buyers are men. And then you have a demand for the access to women and children's bodies, predominantly women and children constitute 98% of those who are being sold. So the entire global construct of prostitution and trafficking is a construct of male demand. And it is... Uh, prostitution is a system of violence, exploitation, and gender inequality at its core. It's about men having access to women, predominantly women and children's bodies, and requiring them and demanding them to do whatever it is that they want to do. There's a lot more to say about that. But there is a question of, okay, well, why do we see so many men today in today's world out looking to purchase illicit sex now it's not to say that this is this has never happened before in history it's to say that right what's happening now is so much exponentially bigger and larger than what we've ever seen before across the globe we're not talking about a few bad apples on the fringes of society We're talking about entire swaths of the demographic that are now participating in the purchase of sex in the global commercial sex industry. So if you look at a country like Brazil where studies have been done, 70% of men in Brazil purchase sex. In Germany, there are 1.5 million purchases of sex per day. In Spain, there are 1.5 million purchases of sex per day. So we're talking about large demographics of men who are rising up to demand the, you know, the satisfying of their sexual appetites through paid illicit sex. So that is a new phenomenon.
1: The newness of it is the massive global scale of it. Just to be clear.
2: It's a mushroom cloud of a generation, just, you know, the explosion of demand across the globe, like nothing we've ever seen before. And so there are several factors that we set out to unpack in the course of a couple documentaries. One of those things is how the world has become hardwired with the internet, giving access to the planet, exposing the planet to images of violent, hardcore graphic sex like has never been given access before in the history of humanity. One of my colleagues who is now past, he was saying this sort of facetiously, but you can see more hot babes in 10 minutes now on the internet than you could have seen in an entire lifetime 100 years ago. The point being is just the oversaturation of highly sexualized and objectified and often violent images of women being preyed upon sexually. And so so when you talk about exposure to those images and what kind of impact it has, there's a socialization effect in terms of the way that exposure to those images construct our idea of what it means to be a man or a woman or a sexual being in today's world. We internalize those images and those stories in the construction of our identity, our values, our worldview, what we think sex is and how we experience relationships. And so what we have seen is this widespread access to pornography playing a significant role in the socialization of both men and women and the sexual education that they're now growing up with. So that's one factor. Globalization is another huge factor. Access to travel like never before. So there are a number of reasons for which we are seeing the commodification of human sexuality around the world. And, but a huge part of it has to do with the widespread proliferation and normalization of pornography when we went and first started interviewing young adults at spring break we would ask them this question have you ever seen pornography and it was such a foregone conclusion to everyone we asked that they had that we changed the question to at what age did you start watching pornography and so we saw was virtually universal access to and consumption of pornography by every young adult that we interviewed. And as we began to dissect the pornification of these people's attitudes, mindsets and the larger culture that we're living in, um, what we began to see is a consistent story and a consistent script and a consistent narrative begin to shape, take shape about who men are, who women are, and what sex looks like, the confluence of those three things was resulting in a culture of sexual assault and abuse. And in our findings, what we saw is that boys who grow up developing an objectified view of women and women who grow up developing um, an objectified view of themselves and a generation that grows up with a desacralized view of sex creates the conditions for which sexual assault, rape, um, sexual exploitation can thrive. And so in the four or five years we filmed at spring break, we did not meet a single young woman who had not been sexually violated during her time at spring break. What do we do? Yeah, I think, you know, a a big factor in all this is the way in which stories are transmitted into our culture. So if you look back for millennia, stories were passed down by those in the community who were leaders in the community interested in protecting the values of the community family and, you know, furthering the society. So those values, the stories that were passed down were embedded with values that were meant to preserve and protect and communities and families and cause societies to thrive. But those storytellers who were, you know, the village sage, uh, a teacher, you know, some community leader, pastor, figure have changed in our generation.
1: Mom and dad and grandma and grandpas, right? Right. Yeah, families.
2: So nowadays, with the advent of multimedia, our storytellers have changed to corporate media entities whose motivation is not for the passing on of values to preserve the society and the family but whose motivation is money. And when Hugh Hefner introduced pornography to the mainstream through Playboy in 1953, he set forth a business model that essentially industrialized the the capturing of the lustful male gaze. That business model then became homogenous among the porn industry, the film industry, the television industry, mar- the advertising industry, the music industry. And so so nowadays, the stories that we are told are using these very visceral means to capture people's attention for financial gain. So I think that, you know, as I said before, us being social beings, we develop our idea of who we are by looking out at the stories around us as we grow up in culture. When we internalize these stories in the construction of our identity, our values, our worldview, and those stories are very perverted, twisted um, versions of what it means to be human or a sexual being, we end up with a huge mess on our hands, which is, what we're currently living in.
1: Greed increased and integrity diminished.
2: Exactly. So you and I are taking an inventory for, you know, where we have come over this past generation in this new world. When you think about it, the internet is relatively new. The internet has only been around for 30 years. So we're taking an inventory for the impact of that. And I think that, what we need moving forward is to reclaim the stories that are being told. And I think that we need to reestablish a premise for which human relationships can thrive again. So we've, you know, pornography has, as Raquel Welsh said, fractured a generation of men. It is based on a model of sexuality that is predatory, that is malevolent, that is built on the degradation, humiliation, and desecration of women. And that is what is informing the vast majority of young boys and men about who women are and what sex should look like. I wrote a book on this that I released last year called Raised on Porn. And at the very beginning, I write a chapter that's just called A Word About Sex, And what I intended through this chapter is just to set a basic framework for how to understand human sexuality because our grasp on human sexuality has been utterly lost. And so I think you have to have some kind of ethical framework to even understand what our sexuality is about. And I put it into three different frameworks, a relational sexuality, an object sexuality, and a malevolent sexuality.
1: Relational.
2: Relational, object, malevolent. And that framework then gives you an interpretive lens to read the rest of the book through, which is really helpful to understand just how damaging pornography's version of sex has been on a generation. There's a lot of soul searching to do on the part of our culture concerning the stories that we tell. And I think there is a question of, you know, is it is it possible to to turn the tide on this when you look at just, you know, how widespread the pollution of our humanity has become?
1: Is it possible to turn the tide on this as you see it?
2: I think that it is. If you look at people like William Wilberforce, you know, who lived at the height of the transatlantic slave trade, slavery had persisted for millennia on the basic premise that people with black skin are dark skin have less value than people with white skin. He challenged that notion. He challenged the entire structure of slavery as it existed in his time. And he He shifted the locus of thought and the mass consciousness of society regarding the issue of slavery and and the foundation of racism that it was built upon. And he was quite literally a hinge of history who paved the way for the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade. If you look at, you know, these social movements throughout history, the movement here in America to raise awareness about the harms of smoking and how successful that was at curbing the widespread rampant use of, of tobacco and cigarettes that you know was causing so much cancer. So I think that through awareness and education work, we, will, we can bring people back to the table of being more thoughtful and considerate about the kind of stories that we want to tell. Now, the corporate profit driven motive of this is quite literally a science of exploitation, and so that has to be challenged. And I think that's where you know, people watching this come in. We as a people, need to challenge the structures uh, that be and the current systems that are running our world. So we do social activism campaigns that are designed to move the needle both on how People understand our world as well as the, the laws that govern it. We started a campaign called Protect Children Not Porn in 2021 that would require big tech and big porn to put age verification walls in place for the hosting and for the hosting and distribution of all online pornography. So that would mean that the user would have to have a government issued ID verified through a third party in order to access that information or that, the, to, in order to access those images, that content. So we were told when we started this campaign that this would never pass in the United States because of our free speech laws and how protected the internet is. And since we started that campaign, eight states have passed these age verification laws. And there are another, uh, I think right now, another 13 or 16 that are deliberating about this. And so it just goes to show that if we work together in an organized way to challenge these things, that we can turn the tide. But it's going to take a lot of people who dig their heels in and really take seriously the work of protecting our children and future generations.
1: In what, some 20 years you've been in this now? What's the most significant thing you learned that you can share with the rest of us that don't have 20 years to join you?
2: I think when we got into this we had a, a like I mentioned before a narrow view of trafficking that basically warranted you know sending in commandos to go rescue people who were trapped in brothels that was our idea so I think the most important discovery we made is just how complex multi-layered and nuanced the problem of trafficking is and the psychological manipulation and tactics that are used by traffickers to enslave women, to be, essentially to bring them into a coerced complicity with their agenda. It makes the problem of trafficking a lot more challenging to confront. But what was important about making that discovery is realizing that ultimately, this issue lies at the feet of men. If men stopped buying women and children for sex, the entire global commercial sex industry, the entire sex trafficking industry would implode overnight. And we would see the largest exodus of human beings from systematic oppression that the world has ever seen.
1: So, when governments are peddling it, using it to manipulate leaders, and when the governments are involved in this too, as we're seeing more and more, we have to face that reality here too. And I mean, our leaders by governments, then how do you deal with that reality
2: yeah but the the government can't force men to go buy people for sex sex trafficking is just because of a groundswell of men who grow up you know consuming pornography in the shaping of their sexuality and have now reached a point in life where they want to access those fantasies And really the only way that most men would would be able to, which is through paid sex. So the demand for illicit sex is the root of this issue. And so we are releasing a, a new film this year. We did some screenings of it last year called Buying Her. And that specifically explores this aspect of demand. So I think for me, that's the most important discovery, understanding how trafficking works and how we bring an end to it by pulling it up by the root. That's the most important discovery that we've, that we've made.
1: Wow, I love it. How can the average person listening to this, I mean, let's face it, their sons, their daughters, their relatives, it is like a cancer now. What's practical advice? I know that we're seeing levels of impotence, for example, an unprecedented impotence because nothing real can compete with the seduction of the lie of things that are false, narrated, whatever, put on the screen. And it just becomes crippling.
2: So I wrote this book, Raised on Porn. I highly recommend people getting a hold of it. The first half is dedicated to providing a framework to understand what porn is and its impact on us. And then the second half of the book is dedicated to what we can do about it. And it speaks to everyone from okay. consumers to parents to partners of pornography consumers. I spent 10 years writing the book that I wished was there when I first got into this in the first place. So that, I think that's a really helpful resource. Okay. Our approach with this work at Exodus Cry is creating films and then creating activism campaigns. And they go hand in hand. And so if people check out Exodus Cry, check out our website, follow us on Instagram, on all social platforms, people can find out about our movies, they can get educated, they can become more aware of the issues. And then we're constantly putting out calls to action so people can get connected with us through social media to get informed about different calls to action that we're doing and track with this movement to help abolish the systematic widespread enslavement, exploitation, of women and children.
1: What made you personally get into this line of work?
2: It was really something I feel like that snowballed. There wasn't one day where I said, I'm going to become an abolitionist and dedicate my life to the fighting of trafficking. It was more like I just felt once I learned about this that I that I needed to know more. And so investigating it, researching it, then led to taking on one project, which snowballed into another one, into another one. And over time, we became sort of like experts in this field through the projects that we were working on, eventually received consultative status at the United Nations, began doing screenings of our documentaries before governments around the world, began working with survivors, began developing outreach initiatives to intervene in situations where people are being trafficked. It It just snowballed over time. And so now we've been at this for near 20 years, and we can look back and see how impactful that our work has been just at, you know, starting from square one and then trying to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And right now, this latest thing that I mentioned is this Protect Children Not Porn campaign that's gained a ton of traction. And so for anyone that might be seeing this, in different states, I just encourage you to contact your legislator about these age verification laws because we want to see it passed throughout the United States to where there are no more children who are inadvertently exposed to pornography, which has such a damaging impact on their um, biopsychosocial well being and their sexual development and their psyche and every part of their being. It is digital sexual abuse. The way kids experience those images is so harmful to their person. And so we we want to see these laws passed to protect children and future generations of children.
1: How do children experience these images that makes it so crippling? And also, by the way, exposes them to predators because curiosity, experimentation, and all that comes with it. Mm -hmm. and them violating each other. I don't know what the statistics are on this, but as kids are exposed to this, I'm sure they become little predators themselves.
2: Yeah, you know, the issue is even the porn industry calls themselves the adult industry. So there's some inherent recognition that this content is not for children. And when you study the brain and you talk to psychologists, you can begin to get a picture of just how harmful it is for children to have premature exposure to hardcore graphic sexuality much less adults you know the adults being exposed to this image these images are are harmful as well but as a child you just don't have the psychological apparatus or the emotional maturity or health to even know how to frame these things so it creates a very confusing experience for a child when their sexuality is prematurely awakened they oftentimes talk children oftentimes talk about experiencing a mixture of shame and arousal and not knowing what to do with that. The way they begin to relate to themselves and others begins to change. For some children, we've heard testimonies of kids who became suicidal as young as 11 years old, having, you know, begun to come under the dark, dark feelings of shame associated with images that they're being exposed to that are again based on the humiliation of women. So I I'm aroused by this, but I'm also this is disgusted by it. I spend a whole chapter on the neurology side of this, which I won't take time to break down here, but just to say that when you know because of neural coupling and the way that our brains work, we, we it's not like we experience these images as something happening you know in this distant place. We experience them as very as a very real visceral um, immersive, experience. So right now our world has become this global orgy that all children are living in proximity to. And it is it is damaging to them and and to the to their healthy sexual development and ability to engage in a healthy thriving relationship.
1: That's really powerful the concept of a global orgy. That's really unbelievable.
2: And, you know, when you think about the billions of hours of pornography that are being consumed across every nation on earth, it it is, it's a, it's a picture of this global orgy that we are all living in proximity to. So what we are talking about is a corporately sexually traumatized planet. We're talking about if, if, you know, if I maybe haven't been personally traumatized, I know some, either a family member or a friend has, we are all right now in this corporately sexually traumatized planet and people are wounded and people are hurting and there just aren't enough healers or enough awareness for people to understand that they need healing to address the scope and the gravity of this problem. I'm in it. Thank you.
1: I'm in it to win it. I'm in it to the end. I see transformation in incredibly short periods of time, but I do see, I I think I'm thankful for just how concise you are in explaining the reality of this, because I think people just don't want to talk about it Mm
2: -hmm.
1: for a lot of different reasons. And, and you nailed it. It's the shame and the excitement of it and the shame of it. And it's like anything else. Sometimes it takes the loss of life for a corrective measure to be implemented by the masses. How many years have we been talking about drugs? Right. Right, and the cause of drugs. So many people that find themselves dealing with serious addictions have lost their innocence to this. And I love what you said, the global orgy, because really it's like we're on life support almost right now in terms of, thankfully, I think there's enough in in terms of the consequence of what is happening, the violation, the abuse. I mean, fathers really taking liberties with their own children. This leads to such, if we don't harness this, I think it's worse than any addiction, any substance abuse that we're dealing with. I think this global orgy we find ourselves in is more intoxicating and I think it's more dangerous. Because you don't need a substance. You just need a thought.
2: Yeah. On a more positive note, the idea of human sexuality is, is very beautiful and is very, it's very powerful. And the idea of pleasure and intimacy and connection that's governed by mutuality and empathy to create a beautifully connected human experience, we are wired for pleasure. And so that can be such a life-enhancing, deeply satisfying and emotionally lifting experience to have a sexual encounter. So what we're addressing is the perversion, pollution, and the deviancy of, of, of human sexuality, using sex as a vehicle for the destruction of one person for the pleasure of another. So when you think about human sexuality, I think that, as I mentioned previously, you had leaders in the community who had a vested interest in preserving the integrity of the family and of their culture and of their society. Mm-hmm. And so the traditional notion of sexuality as something meant to be procreative, meant to be connecting in the context of a, you know, uh. Committed relationship, those kind of things. So that changed when Hugh Hefner came on the scene and began to model a different, different version of sexuality, which is object sexuality. And so now, rather than a man pursuing a woman, a sexual encounter that was protected by integrity and commitment was a man in a in a smoking jacket sitting around his, lounging around his mansion with a harem of women at his disposal to use and discard as he pleased. So what we saw through that was this evolution from a traditional relational understanding of sexuality to a object sexuality. And then what we saw with the internet is This evolution from an object sexuality, which is the foundation of hookup culture, where we all just use each other in this kind of cannibalistic way. And there's, you know, there's a real desacralization of human sexuality within hookup culture, just moving from one person to another, and we're all just using each other in kind of this cannibalistic way to get something from the other, to a malevolent sexuality when the internet came about. The internet because sexuality is novelty based, you need different, not more. That's what's different about sex addiction versus drug addiction with drugs. You need more to get high with sexuality. You need different. So what it became true. Very good. Is this novelty competition among pornographers to create different, 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 different. And what you ended up with is an internet space that was proliferated with some of the most bizarre deviant malevolent violent sex acts imaginable and so what we began to see is Mm -hmm. is a third evolution in human sexuality from a object sexuality to a malevolent sexuality there are pornographers whose sole intention was to find young women who had never done pornography and to overwhelm them in a context of a scene and, and to to crush them, to break them in the context of a scene so that the audience can have the experience of watching their innocence taken from them. That level of socio That is
1: demonic. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: And so now that has become- the way that many people experience sex today is as a way to break another person, subjugate another person, and to enact harm and humiliation onto another person. And so- So
1: you're telling me that now, the bringing these young children or adolescents or virgins or whatever, under the context of a discourse or, or a scene, whatever is being produced, that it's the watching of the deconstruction of everything that's sacred and pure and good about their soul, about the people, and watching it fall apart and watching them lose their innocence. That's the new malevolent over-dominatrix.
2: And you know, the thing about sex is sex is powerful and mankind is weak. And so it's really okay. this it's this way of harnessing sexuality to seduce the masses into an intoxicating experience that renders them powerless. And in this world that has normalized this now, what we see is a malevolent sexuality beginning to become internalized to where a lot of people's first sexual encounter involves group sex, or being choked or spit on or hit, all kinds of either violent or humiliating acts is is a normal part of a person's first sexual encounter. Now, staggering rates of child sexual abuse. There was a study at one Ivy League school that showed that one in four women were sexually assaulted during their time going to school there. We're just seeing the, the, the staggering implications of a generation you know experiencing this so the, so to bring it back i think that people have to begin to consider that exposing themselves to these images though intoxicating is ultimately going to undermine and and be detrimental towards this very po- powerful part of their humanity that has something so beautiful and life enhancing to offer them if they honor it and reverence it and cherish it and experience it in the right context which is the context of mutuality and empathy which is the exact opposite of what we see in the world of porn
1: yeah what you just described I don't know I'm listening to you say this I mean it's kind of shocking I thought I'd seen and heard everything Mm -hmm. but this is a whole new level of disgusting yeah and I think Other than inviting those people, dealing with the aftermath of that and inviting into a place of rest and rebuilding the foundations that have eroded. That's what we do here. And simultaneously doing the work you guys are doing, which is bringing this to people's attention Mm -hmm. and restoring the damage. We can restore it because the best advocates for healing and and multiple and facilitating healing is gonna be the people that have suffered this trauma Mm -hmm. that are gonna say, not on my watch, I'd rather die a thousand deaths and watch this happen to another person. I do think the power of that is so, so great, Benji, that I think there can be a whole revolution. Absolutely. I do, I believe it, I believe it. And I think the masses their masses, they're not intoxicated with money, nor are they intoxicated by greed. The masses want and need healing because they're trying to stabilize their schools, their communities, their families, their marriages, right? Their state, their nation. So I think the appeal, I think the the beautiful thing that our work can bring to the table is appeal to the affection of the masses. Mm. And always, of course, challenge the powers that be to say, you know, we're not going to go away. Yeah. And we need to resist this darkness that is upon us.
2: Well, thank you for, you know, anyway. you back to helping people heal. I think for people, anyone who's listening to this, I really encourage you to check out our documentaries, Nefarious on global sex trafficking. Um, we did a documentary called Raised on Porn. And then we have a more expansive and in-depth resource a book written alongside of that um and we came out with a, a documentary series called beyond fantasy which is an expose of the porn industry
1: on your where can they find all your resources
2: exoduscry.com
1: okay benji thank you so much thank you for your hard work thank you for your faithfulness your commitment and thank you for providing all these resources for us to share with our listening audience.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. We'll look you.
1: forward to having you back to talk about your book.
2: All right. So
0: For updates about Rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you'd like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of Rest, please go to theplaceofrest.com forward slash donate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week.